This week, we are talking about how to introduce new player characters to the party. Then it goes kind of off the rails. We talk about city building, something about new spells and them being horribly underpowered. It's a bit of a mess, guys. We're recording from home. Coronavirus. The world's ending. Welcome to We Speak Common. Benjamin. Joseph. And this is a scary new world we're finding ourselves in. <laughs> this is, it is um, absolutely terrifying. What, what's, what I'm finding the most unnerving is that I can't see your face. What happens if I ask you to turn your webcam on? Uh, I mean, I literally don't have my webcam plugged in right now, Ben, because oh, I was afraid it was going to record the audio from the webcam audio, and then I wouldn't realise <laughs> I've, I've reduced my... Set up considerably, Ben, to make this work. Yeah, uh, cable management mate is going to have the absolute window. Um, it's a nightmare. Yeah. It's a, just a living nightmare. Yeah, I mean, I think that's how we all feel about the world in general, to be honest, at the moment. Um, so yeah, we are we're, we're both at home in our separate homes, and uh, just to paint a picture, obviously we normally record in a studio at my work's office, which is now a no-go zone. Um, so I've sat with a duvet over my head for soundproofing, which is a good tip. You are the same, Joe, yes? Uh, I was going to do that then, and then I was like, my monitor is massive. I need like a king-size <laughs> duvet to make this work. <laughs> right, uh, okay. I'll be more prepared next week, you know. Um, okay, all right, okay. Well, I'll, I'll give you that. So I, I, I have got the duvet because my room is quite big, so I've got um, a okay, echo if I don't have this. So my neck is going to feel like, I don't know, it's like a neck workout holding this duvet up. Um, it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, if, if there's any um, uh, quality difference or, or we sound a little bit funny just compared to usual, it's because we're abiding by the rules and staying at home and doing what we're meant to do. But, we're, we're banking on Ben that we've made such high quality up until this point that you know, uh, people won't turn on us, you know, like uh, yeah. rabid wolves. Um, I mean, it's it's the quality of the content, not the quality of the audio, really. That's that's well, the important thing. I think it was mostly the audio we had going for us, to be honest, before. But um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, so what you're saying is this episode won't perform at all. Uh, I mean, unquote <laughs> me. <laughs> all right, all right, whatever. I don't. I mean, I'm, I'm I've got to edit this at some point. God knows how that's going to turn out. We'll have some fun with it. Either way, there'll be something out. I just week. want to make sure there's content like this, Ben, when you know the apocalypse comes and everyone's in their bunkers and whatnot. I just want to ensure that people mm. know, Ben, how to introduce new player characters to the party. You know, when they've they've had a TVK or something like that. You know, I mean, I what else are you going to do during the apocalypse but play D and D? So, exactly. exactly. I mean, really, the apocalypse is what we need to give us more time to play D and D. It's the escapism we never knew we needed. Oh no, I knew I needed it. I definitely knew I needed it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, um, so topic then is because, I mean, you're doing this now. I've done it a number of times before. Um, and, well, I like to kill PCs, so. I don't. I very much dislike <laughs> it, but uh, it just seems to happen. Although in this case, it was more of a breaking of the fellowship, if you will. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, the basically two of the party members were like, we're going off and doing this other thing. Um, you know, we just can't uh, constitute what you're doing. The other can't party stand members. you as people. Yes, that it was kind of a yeah, it was a bit of inter-party rivalry. It was mostly my uh, sort of DMPC kind of character just coming in and ruining it for everyone. <laughs> Um, Which it tends to be what happens when you have a DMPC, Joe. I just want to <laughs> reiterate yeah. that. So I mean, that you've he's, not really your DM, he's not really a DMPC in the main sense of the word. He was just someone that lied to all the party members and turned them against each other. Um, yeah. So. Uh, just know. a bit of an arsehole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was not very effective in any, in any fights or anything like that. Didn't really make any decisions. He just um, just ruined everyone's lives. So, so f- for me as well, my situation has never, it's not, I've never had that situation. You, you've got quite a unique um, thing going on there. Um, you're welcome. But I have had 
members of the party die or their players leave the group. I've also had people who have said, oh, Ben, I really want to play D&D, but I don't really know what I'm doing. And, I've, you know, I've got a character I've played like three sessions and I've said, well, join ours for a session. So I have to introduce them as a guest character and then they go away, which actually I quite enjoy doing. Um, it adds a bit of flavor to the to the regular game. So I've, I've bought PCs in and out, I think quite regularly. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, the way I approached it, um, it's been a while since we've played anyway, and you, know, you guys finally got your, your characters and everything together. Mm. And I, you've got to kind of realize who has information about what, right? When you're trying to make, because you want the scene to be dramatic, you want it to be impactful when these new characters come in. Um, I find that's a really exciting part of D&D for me as a player, is if someone, you know, a player character dies or leaves or whatever, and we have someone new come in, um, it's exciting. I don't like to know what class they're going to play or anything like that. Um, mm. I just like it to be revealed through the gameplay. I think that's kind of like a fun little sort of Easter egg for me as a player to figure out, like, okay, they have swords, or they're a bard, or a fighter, or a barbarian, or whatever, you know, and... Um, and doing stuff like that's quite fun and I think it can be fun for the the other players as well so and to make it as smooth as possible I like to tell the players that are coming into the party um, all these new characters a bit more information you know I'm gonna I let them know about how the setups gonna go down where the yeah. and that, that might be deemed as a little bit meta but I want it to flow in this instance um, I think when you're trying to get these two groups to collide things are going to be slightly more railroaded than usual because you kind of have that sort of unwritten buy-in from the players like you know as soon as i introduce an npc and then one of the other players starts talking as that character they're going to be like oh okay this is a player character you could probably just not kill them or leave them you know um yeah i agree to begin with i um i always whenever i bring someone in that's regardless of whether they're a new player joining the group as another character or whether they are uh, a character whose PC has left or, or died for whatever reason and is bringing a new new PC in, I always give them something. So, for example, I've had... Uh, we had a guest character in the Waterdeep game and uh, the player played as the Blackstaff, Badger Safra, which was a lot of fun for them to experience this powerful NPC I gave them a lot of information and and knowledge that the players wouldn't have so that we were on the same page not everything so that she could still enjoy herself and discover things but like the goals and the the thinkings of that NPC and also um, the players then had that experience of they knew they were going to go see the backstaff. They didn't know who the grace of the player was going to be in the game, but they knew that she was joining. And then we were about an hour in, and they're like, we haven't met her yet. Like, when are you coming? And she's like, text me privately and said, don't worry if they don't come to me. I don't mind. I'm enjoying myself. And I'm like, oh, don't worry. <laughs> They'll come and find you. <laughs> and oh and the realisation... Oh, yeah. The realisation was, um, was... We went down so well. I was so happy with the reaction from the players. So that's one way I've done it. But if they're a brand new character as well a brand new pc character that doesn't have a setting in the world it's like right okay well let's i mean i work with players for their backstory anyway because i want them to be integrated in the game but it's more of okay what's your backstory right okay now let's work out what you would have been doing that yeah. leads you into the story between levels one and whatever level we are at now well that dragon heist one worked really well because i that you were sort of playing with the player's preconceived notions of what's possible for a player character because mm. basically it was not in any of our heads that it was possible for her to be the black staff because we're like, okay the black staff's a much more powerful um extreme character if you will like that's not within the realms of, of player character you know yeah. when you pull it into there that's when the surprise really works it's sort of played with our own expectations um you know, you, you, you Ryan Johnson me, and it was, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it worked very well in this case, very well in this case. And um, yeah, so that was good. I mean, I gone. I was going to say that when I was envisioning it, I mean, and this is what I would say to DMs that are kind of struggling with this at the moment. I've got two player characters coming into a party with another two characters and 
the first thing I did was, okay, what like, and I think this is a good idea when you're making any sort of scene or, or moment that you want to happen. What is the purpose of that moment? What are you trying to achieve? Um, you know, what's the point of it? Now, obviously, okay, the point is to get the party together so we can move on with the story. That's point one. That, that has to happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I need these two forces to collide in some way. And so the setup I did for that is I told you guys, okay, they're traveling along the road. I'm going to let the party know that there's some sort of fight going off in the, the, the foliage here yeah, or the tree line. Um, I suspect and hope, I, I pray and hope they will go and investigate. If they don't, then uh, I will come up with something else. But they, I'm pretty sure they will, you know. Um, yeah. And I, I know I've just, it's down to me as a DM to make it enticing enough for them to do so. And um, and then I said, and I told you guys, look, you are going to be the ones fighting in this instance. I gave you some background. And I started to look at, okay, what else do I want this scene to serve as? Well, a few things. I want it to inform the current party members who are already in the party what you guys are all about. Who are you? Is this an opportunity for you to explosively introduce your characters in a, an intense and dangerous moment, which I think should highlight your character's sort of innate traits anyway. You'll sort yeah. of be representing extreme versions of yourself because you'll be in combat in life-threatening situations. And so that was an opportunity for me to like I say, accentuate the, uh, the characteristics of these new player characters, get you guys an opportunity to show them off. You know, as soon as you roll up a new character, you want to start throwing around their abilities and stuff like that because it's all new. You want to experience it. And so I want to give... That's why I like to start off new PCs generally with a combat quite quickly because almost all abilities in D&D are combat-focused and it gives them an opportunity to try out all their new stuff, especially as well... It gives the player characters an opportunity to actually learn their characters if they're playing a class they've not played before. And the more high in level you go and introduce new characters, the more complex it gets as well. Um, yeah. Obviously, a level 20 character, brand new, it, it, there's a lot of abilities there and whatnot to get your head around if you've not played that type of character before. And then secondly, I wanted you guys to like I say, experience your abilities and kind of get it out of your system, you know. Um, pro tip, <laughs> if, you're, if you're introducing a wizard, like a, someone who's never played a wizard before and they're around level five and that, you better give them an opportunity to fire off that fireball in a safe, you know, secure environment before you, <laughs> you end up, you know, the, before the wizard loots it and just throws it off in the tavern, you know, because they can't help it. Um, yeah. So I want you to do that. And then also because one of you is a bard and one of you is a cleric, and I've already given you quite a lot of information about the world, and I'm going to give you even more before you start. It's tied in really nicely because the current party is going into a new part of the world they know very little about, and it has a very different culture and systems and ethics and things than the rest of the world they're used to. It's it's almost like going into an entirely new world, if you will. And would you say would you say it's a whole new world? Uh, yes, I would then. Dazzling sights and etc. 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 Okay, just had to check. <sighs> anyway, <laughs> um, but what it did for me is it gave me an opportunity to let my player characters, my new player characters, do the exposition for me, Ben. Yeah, you know? yeah, and. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be thing. so good because it's like I don't even have to try as a DM now, Ben. I can just let you tell the story, you know? This is what I like and I and, and I love this as both a player and a DM because as a DM, it makes me feel like um, the players are really in, uh, into the story. They're really, what's the word? They're... Uh, invested? Invested, thank you. They're very invested. But as a player, um, I, so I am this bard who's this famous storyteller, I think Dandelion, but like rough and tumble. And, but a Viking. Um, a Viking. Yeah, but a Dandelion, but a Viking, yeah. And he tells the stories of these, these Viking Norse-ish gods, and I want to be able to to tell those stories as my character and not just say, oh, Joe, do I know a story about that? Yeah, and then you go, oh, it's a story about this, this, and this, and this, this, and this. And I say, oh, it's a, I, I say that. I want to actually say it, and I want to let the get that that sort of engrossed feeling that that. Um, I can kind of um, you know what I'm trying it. to say. I can kind of um, equate it to 
sort of diegetic songs in films. Mm-hmm. Like, for instance, you know, in like Guardians of the Galaxy, right? All these songs that play, not the score, but the songs, they're all diegetic, yeah. i.e. they're in the world actually playing at that time. It's not yeah. something just the audience experiencing, but the, the actual characters are experiencing. Um, and that just has a sort of a profound effect at immersing you, I think. Um, that's that's a really good way of describing it. And I think that you, I mean, I, it's difficult because I think you're in a very envious position because you've got this moment where everything seems to have aligned and you're going to a new section of the world and, you, and you've got all this lore that the players aren't going to know and these new characters can know it. And it just sort of, it all works together well. Um, and that, that is a it's, very envious position to be in. It's nice because I can do all my boring exposition mm-hmm. out of the game to i.e. you guys doing character creation and letting you know some stuff. And But it's not like I'm just espousing dialogue to you because it's stuff you need to know for you to implant your characters in the world, right? Yeah. Um, but then you can say it in-game in an interesting, ho- hopefully interesting, um, <laughs> and, and surprising way to the other characters and it's going to make you almost feel more like NPCs, which I think is going to be pretty exciting in terms of how immersed you are in the world. Um, you have lots of character ties, and even simply the fact that um, you, one one of the new characters is a cleric of a god that I've made called Bjorn, and he's going in this fight. You will be fighting a fallen paladin of Bjorn. So already there's so much like you can talk about there, you know, in terms of the religion. It also, I gave him this scenario because it gives him an opportunity. This entire part of the world is heavily focused on the, their religion and their beliefs. It, it, it influences every single aspect of all their lives. So having that be the, very much the focus of this fight, the, this emotional fight on that side of it, um, gives us the opportunity when inevitably the party will say, you know, what, what's going on here? Why are you fighting, etc. It gives the the cleric a chance to almost start espousing sermons if he wants, you know, about yeah. what's going on, why they're fighting, why this is important. Your bard is obviously again heavily tied to the gods, as pretty much everyone is. It's not exclusive to clerics, um, and so they can already start to learn about that. They've had a taste of it already, because um, I say my. My NPC that's following along with the party at the moment is from this part of the world. He's explained a little bit, but you know he's not been there in a very long time. Whereas you guys are just fresh in this new environment. Um, so that's again another opportunity, and that was another one of my goals when setting up this encounter. It's like, okay, what can I achieve here? What do I want to achieve? One of those was give them a taste um, of what the world has to offer. I.e., what is this part of the world? What are going to be the themes, the ideas. So this theme of religion, of bloodshed, of you know, of glory and victory and honor through bloodshed. Um, what that means uh, to die on the battlefield, because I presume, um, you know, after what I spoke about with it with the cleric, is that you know he has a very strong tie to death. He's a life cleric, um, and so when someone dies, etc., it's it's meaningful to him and in his sort of divine mission. And so I want to highlight that as well. And again, having a fallen paladin, I think it's just so thematic. Uh, it gives him a real drive to achieve this mission. Because um, it's mm-hmm. difficult when you introduce new characters to give them motivation outside of their own personal backstory. But because these idea of the gods is so relevant to everyone, even the new player characters that are coming in, because it will influence their decisions, it will influence decisions to the NPCs they talk to, um, having that be a focus for me was very important. And then also, uh, I don't want to spoil it yet, because obviously the encounter hasn't happened, but I built the actual nuts and bolts of the encounter, i.e. the, the monsters, the NPCs, the environmental effects, etc. You know I love a good avalanche and whatnot and things like that. <laughs> um, yeah. I built that in a way that we should accentuate some of the abilities of the, the new characters, but also the player characters, because we've not played this game in quite a few months. I want... The, the guys that are still in the party who, who, who didn't abandon me in my, my, my time with me um, <laughs> right. to to, uh, to experience some of their abilities again um, you know and you guys are like level 6 now you're getting some more powerful abilities than you had last time so these are all things that I've tried to do to achieve these sort of list of objectives I had but the key one being introduce the party and give those new characters a moment to shine and explain what they're all about 
Mm. I think that's what's exciting when you roll a new character. Um, it's fun to it's fun to show off your gimmick. You know your your, your special thing. If I'm a barbarian, I want to I want to rage. You know and, and do my yeah. my little my flavor text. You know as that happens. So it's an opportunity for them to do that. I think um, yeah, I think that is all spot on, and I think you are in this really good point to do that and um, giving those new characters the the knowledge that the other party doesn't have it's just it's just enough to really hook everybody into the into the actual getting to know you because the other risk is that you can bring in that new pc or those new pcs plural and uh, it's just like oh i'm i'm a rogue and i'm a cleric and uh, hello yes we're going to join you now for whatever reason and we all know the same stuff and it's like okay they're just part of the party let's move on and no real connection is formed but if you've got that background knowledge if you've got that stuff that that you can give to the group uh, when you join that connection is formed almost instantly i think um we should talk a bit about how to bring in new pcs if if you're not in that envious position but also um another way of doing it which is uh not the standard uh, you know you meet in a tavern or like oh someone comes over and offers you help and now they're part of the group but how can you how can you bring pcs in a, in a more role play environment because we as a group focus very heavily on that and actually something that surprises me a lot is that a lot of people message us through um, Reddit and Instagram and stuff, and they they always tell me like, oh my my groups aren't role play heavy. They don't get into the role playing. And I'm like, what? That's basically all we do. Um, and I'm not to say that that's wrong because every group has their own style of play. But it just surprises me that there's not more of a balance out there. So if you are um, bringing new PCs into a session and you think there's no way that I can pull a combat out of nowhere here it just doesn't fit it would be forced doesn't make sense that's fine don't stress it because i think while all of your points joe are spot on with people wanting to try out the new abilities and things there there can be um a way to just teeter that out a little bit bring them in as a as a character give them the extra info so they can talk and chat maybe i don't know maybe your current party are on a quest hunting down a vampire sorry i've been watching castlevania and um, they, you know, want to find uh, an ancient vampire hunter. Ah, fantastic. One of your new players either is the vampire hunter or knows the vampire hunter and is already on the quest. And so they join because your PCs are asking around about this person and the person they ask just happens to be your new PC. And then they're on the same quest together and the development grows from there and eventually they get combat and they get to show off what they're about. So there are, yeah. there are other ways. And I like that because that's like a freebie for the DM as well. Because if you give, you know, they're almost like plot keys, and the player mm. characters need to essentially collect these keys to unlock sort of the secrets of the plot to continue, right? Um, yeah. And if you can just give a new a new player character one of these plot keys, then it does two things for you. One, it ensures that the the main party will have buy-in with this new character because they need them; they're important to the plot. You know, they're again. They're, if, the, if the players are playing ball with you, they're gonna. They're not gonna just be very extremely difficult to this new player <laughs> character, and you know, make it. No, you can't join our party. Like it's there's gonna be buying because we know that the game needs to move on, and this player character needs to become part of the party. That's just sort of the underlying meta behind it. But yeah, this gives them a much easier narrative way to do that because they have something that's important to them already. And what it does for you as a DM, it's just Again, a bit of free exposition. A bit. I can just give the player characters a bit of this plot here. Maybe you can give them one that they're struggling to find, or something you've been trying to implement, but they've not been really been biting on this plot hook. Um, mm. And now you can just give it to them on a platter, basically, with this player character, and it won't feel forced. It won't feel like exposition. It won't feel like any railroading. It will become quite natural because it's like sometimes player characters can be well. They're pretty much always suspicious of the DM, right? <laughs> and the DM's intentions, which you, I think you kind of need a little bit because um, that slightly adversarial relationship, like you don't, it's not the DM versus the players, but that slight. Um, What's he going to pull out of his tricks? Yeah, next? exactly. Yeah. yeah, I think that's fun. Um, but when pretty much players tend to trust anything that comes from other players because they feel like they're on the same team. 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So when the player character gives them this bit of plot or whatever, I feel like a lot of the time they're much more likely to jump on it because it, it's coming from a player character. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it just, I, It's that I slight agree. little twist in their head that's, that seems to make them do that, I think. I think as well there's um, there's something very... It just it feels very polished when your, your characters are asking other characters plot-centric and exposition-centric questions. Um, and even if it results in that new player saying, oh, DM, just uh, do I know that? And then the DM has to explain a little bit. Even that is, is uh, just uh, nice for the players to feel like, oh, we're all really actually part of this world. Um, and, and you only get that kind of interaction in, in the role-play introduction of new characters. So there, there, you know, there are pros and cons to both, but ideally you'd be getting both anyway. Because even if you find a new PC in combat, you're then going to talk to them afterwards, and, if you, and, and vice versa. Hopefully, they're going to help you out and, and join in with a battle at some point. And what I like as well, and again, this is we spoke about it quite a few episodes ago, and now about tying player character backstories into sort of the main plot um, mm-hmm. and the main crux of the adventure, and that often leads to this scenario we're talking about where play a character the characters can come across some form of information and then one of the player characters can espouse about it and um, build on it and give more information in a really natural way without any prompts from the dm because they know it's part of their backstory and it then means that they have some information that they can give to the party and it becomes so smooth and so integrated and what's cool as well it's fun for that player character because if you do it correctly, it's like they had this information all along, but they just didn't know the relevance of it until now, the importance. Yeah, uh, and I think that is, oh, that's so key. And it, it's one of those, oh my God moments when, when you realize how things all connect. And it's so easy to achieve those by, by doing exactly that. Yeah, I, I really, I enjoyed doing that a lot. It's difficult um, to pull off in a lot of ways. Um, and I have, I mean, I tell you now, I have some threads like that that have not been pulled on just yet. Um, mm-hmm. I know one of my player characters has some really key information in their backstory that they certainly don't know the, rele- the relevance to right now. And it may never come up, but if it does, like, I hope it will have that same sort of impact, you know, um, yeah. where there's, there's stuff like that. Um, in both of my games in, in in Esteroth there's a lot of things that you guys haven't quite put together and every session I'm here like when are you gonna when are you gonna work this out like when are you when is it gonna click because I keep thinking ah oh, this is this is the bit of info that's gonna make it all click and then it it doesn't um, so that one when when it finally comes around is gonna be a big moment for the party and for me I think and then in Waterdeep there's there's just kind of Waterdeep's a really interesting game, and I think I'm really proud of what I've done with the source material and how I've developed it into what really I think. And Joe, I mean, don't let me pat my own back if you don't agree, but I think it feels like a proper living, breathing world. And it um, there, there's just stuff going on and little things here and there and little mentions and stuff that you're all picking up on. And I know you're picking up on them because the two players that keep notes have made notes on them and keep bringing them up. And so I'm like, okay, good. This feels like one day there's going to be a sudden moment and everyone's going to go, oh my God, that's this and this is that. That happened all those days ago. And um, and, and those moments are so nice and so, so much better. They're great anyway, but so much better when they come from player to player interaction, which can be done. It's harder to do if you're not introducing a new PC, obviously, um, because then you've got to play the long game. But when you've got an easy freebie with a new PC, absolutely integrate them into that plot. I would say as well that, I mean, Waterdeep has a really unique feeling for me uh, compared to a lot of the games I've played where, again, in, in a game like Waterdeep, you... You have the advantage of having a lot of pre-written material that mm. that means that you have a lot of lore and background to pull on, and so all, straight away, without any, you know any any work up front, you already have like something that's quite fleshed out going back in time. Right, as soon as the players step into that world and things start moving forward, um, it's then on the DM, as you say, to make those that static information flow um, yeah. and continue to tick over. And I think that's what you've done quite well there is because it does feel like 
I suppose I could equate it to like a, a game, right? Yeah, be like in, in a game, you know, wherever the player looks, that's what's being rendered. But the rest of yeah. the world is just static or non-existent. And it's only when the player turns around to look behind them that that part of the world begins to sort of render and move, right? But it doesn't feel like that in Waterdeep. It does feel like if we were to just sit in our tavern for the next four weeks, you know, we would come outside to a very different world than the one we left, you know, mm. um, because things are in motion. And especially in a city setting like Waterdeep, that's quite difficult to do because there are a lot of moving parts in very close proximity to each other. I find it, I think city campaigns are difficult to do because they're like normal overland, normal world campaigns if every location was just next to each other. Oh, gosh, it's like yeah. if you could go from one end of the continent to the other end, in a day in game time what would that do for you as a dm like will that be a nightmare scenario because it means you've got a plan for everything right mm -hmm. but in a city campaign that is basically it because you can go from one end of the city to the other in a day and it means any location there any plot line is accessible at any moment basically and so yeah, and then, then it becomes on the dm to like okay how do i juggle this that is that is the trick and i think um maybe something we should talk more about again uh, another day because I know we have we have talked about cities before but it is it's just a very isolated pinpoint version of, of every game and, and there is everything there and there are times when I sit down before the game and I think how am I going to prep this what do I prep for like, I don't even know and instead of doing traditional prep where I look at like okay this is where they're going today this is the mission this is the encounter one encounter two here's the the rp encounter instead of all of that stuff what i actually do is i look at all of the open plot lines and i go okay will something happen here yes or no this one this one this one would they interact with this character this character and this character and what i find is um and actually what i found very helpful during <laughs> hashtag quarantine was that i was going out for my one daily exercise that we're allowed in the UK um, so I went out for my walk along the riverbank because I live in the middle of nowhere and instead of just like enjoying the birds and watching the river which I did anyway I was um, talking as my NPC characters and doing dialogue like you know when you go over your head and you, you, you um, imagine conversations with other people and how you'd win those arguments it's kind of like that but with the NPC and the PCs and what the PCs might say and what the NPCs might say if the PCs said that and um, that is a very weird way, I find, of prepping for a game. But in Waterdeep and in, and in the city, it works amazing when I don't know, like when I haven't dropped you off at halfway through a quest line or, or an encounter or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a very good way of building that improvisational skill and also like a bank of knowledge. The more, again, we've spoken about this before, but the more time you spend in your world, the more you have the tools and the understanding to be able to make stuff up or improvise on the spot that still and that content will still feel like it's um, congruent with everything else that's happening in that world you know yeah that's why I think uh, a lot of DMs fear is like okay what if I say something now and I make it canon I make it part of the world and it doesn't fit with the rest of everything else that I've got going yeah. on you know but yeah. I've made a problem for myself here or written myself into a corner basically but again, the more time you spend in the world, and I do that a lot, I think about, I just put myself into the headspace of my NPCs, you know, mm -hmm. um, and a couple, like a select few, I think about a lot. And I think, okay, what are they doing right now? Even if they're very, you know, they're miles and miles away from the party. Because um, that gives me an opportunity to understand, again, how the rest of the world is moving, things can tick over. And then when parts of that get fed back to the party, it does have this effect of like well we're in this moving world that doesn't revolve around us where secretly it actually does um, <laughs> and especially spending time with key NPCs that will be interacting with the party it gives me much more understanding for when when the party throws me through a loop and they say okay we're going to do this thing that was very unexpected I know how that NPC is going to react because I've spent a lot of time as that person I can just react as I naturally would in that playing that character and then whatever happens happens but it's always going to feel congruent because I've spent so much time with that character that I, I no longer can do anything that would be out of character if you understand what I'm saying it's yeah. like um, I've just become that person so the decisions I make uh, are going to make sense for them um, I have no idea how we got here but <laughs> do you do you ever think Joe maybe we spend too much time thinking about D&D &D? 
what gives you that impression? Because <laughs> I, I often listen to our own advice and I think, God. We sound like was, psychopaths? Yeah, like if I was a new player, I'd, I'd be sitting here thinking, oh, hang on, my, my makeshift um, soundproofing's falling down. Hang on. <laughs> there we go. There we go. Uh, I'd be thinking, God, I don't have all this time to like sit and talk to myself as a make believe character. But you, I think. Yeah, you but you, you've also got to remember, Ben, we're on like episode 90, okay? <laughs> We, you got to start actually, off small. It's actually like 70, 78, I think, Joe. So, you you, yeah, you like, got to start off small, you know. We yeah, got, um, yeah, that's fair. Because this is like advice compounded on advice and experience, you know. And obviously, we've been DMing for like yonks now, so um, oh years, literal years. So this is like this is like inside baseball advice, you know. This is this is deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how we still, got here either. <laughs> it's still something that everyone can use, you know. Oh um, yeah, absolutely. And I think if you're ever feeling that, oh, I really want to play D and D, but I don't have any time, just just do this stuff. No, there aren't exactly any advanced techniques to DMing in D and D. They're just different things you can do, yeah. and, or yeah. thinking deeper about something. But um, this is just as important as the basic stuff of, of how to prep for a game and etc. and everything like that. It's all um, it's all additive, you know. Nothing um, necessarily has to come before something else it, they're just all building blocks that you can put a slot into your, your DM yeah. making brain and, and uh, I, don't, I don't think anything takes away either no no exactly um, and that's something key I think I don't I don't want to start doing something as a DM that prohibits me from doing something else that I found that works right because then mm. it's it's like a net there's no net gain you know you, you haven't gained anything from it. You're maybe you're varying up your style, and that's in a way is is a positive. But for me, I like to just continually build my sort of toolbox of knowledge. I don't want to take anything out of it. This is why I always say as well when I'm building a game, and and you know, a player comes up to me and they're like, "Hey, I want to be a little mouse man. Uh, I want to be a little <laughs> mouse." Yeah, and I'm like, that doesn't really work. But then I think to myself, let me just throw it in anyway, because generally with D&D, the more you throw into the pot, you know, uh, the better it is, the more diverse yeah. it is. Um, yeah. You may have this idea of what your world is going to be, but I'll assure you, if you let it evolve naturally, as these questions come up um, and the players try to, uh, you know, um, enact their rule over your very nicely curated <laughs> world if you just let them roll with it a little bit um, and you, you work collaboratively it will always come out more interestingly than you uh, than you first started so yeah yeah. I mean I don't know what this has to do with bringing new player characters into the game Ben not sure I don't know honest. I you think mate. this is the um, this is the issue with our our recording style often people say like have you ever talked about this thing and I'm like um Yes. Have you noticed so. as well, Ben? When we come up with our own topics, yeah, they're just all over the place. When we take topics from the audience, it's like actually quite succinct. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we're, yeah. we're like, we're like, we're just going to freeball this one, and then um, and then we end up here. Earth. Yeah. So I think um, going full circle, circle like poetry, um, back oh, to bringing, George. yeah, I know, bringing new PCs in. Um, it is just about really developing them further they're not your level one i mean they might be level one you might be bringing a new pc at level one but why to level six party why would you do that you monster but but you tend to bring them in at the same at the same level and and so you need to you need to focus on them as if they are higher than than just that new pc they are not just a level one pc in an adventuring party they are a life that has yeah. been lived and is now joining this party and that may seem like a problem at first, but I think it's actually a, a very useful tool you can use. Okay, you're bringing in a new character, and they're going to be level 11. And you're like, okay, how do I make this work? Because they're basically legends at that point, right? Um, yeah. And how do I bring this person that no one's ever heard of before? Well, that's a challenge you can figure out, but your world is pretty big, you know? Mm -hmm. um, you, I'm sure you can find a place for them. But what it allows you to do is it gives you so much more creative freedom to, again, give them that information, give them that special stuff. It's like, think of it this way. You, you can literally introduce like a legendary NPC to the party and all the knowledge they would have and all the experience they would have about the world, all that beautiful exposition that you just want to give to your players, you know, you can just give to this new PC and they can give it to your players. And it's like the higher level they are, the more clout they have in the world, the more it makes sense narratively for them to have this. I love when a high level character comes to a party to give them like a title. 
it, it can be difficult to do in the early game when you're building a world from scratch because you don't really know what's important you don't know the details of your world but once you've spent some time in it and you know you're introducing that level 15 pc um after you, you know you murdered the last one for lich or whatever um mm -hmm. they can come in and they're you know the the duke of, of wherever and they have all this this background and lore etc and maybe they have a family maybe they got some kids or a wife or something and there's a whole family line um, and they can come in with all this detail that would make sense and befitting a character of that level um, that just gives them more opportunity for role play, but it gives you more opportunity to um, drop in things to them. I love it when a character has a unique perspective on the world, like, okay, this character is a vampire, or this character is a prince, or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, outside of the game, I can feed stuff to that character. Like, oh, you know, your character would know this about this, you know, this is what we spoke about in the game today. You'd actually have a bit of insight on this. And drop it to mm -hmm. them. I like to drop it to them outside of the game. Then yeah, I do it's that up too. to them. I'm not forcing them to say it, but it's up to them. But if in the next game they want to bring it up, it's so again, it, it's that, it gives you that diegetic feeling like it's all just and there's that there. extra level that the other because you can do that in the game and ask your players not to meta, but it, it, there's a difference between not metering and genuinely not knowing something. Um, so for example, in my uh, descent game, my oh, sorry, I'm just accidentally brushing the microphone, my um my warlock's patron is very prominent and uh, is actually at this point almost kind of a member of the party so he's uh they i don't know if demons have gender uh they are uh talking to each member of the party and like trying to devil not demon trying to like coerce them into deals and things and and um one member of the party it really doesn't like my character and we and it's been an interesting experience because we never really we're quite good friends outside the game and we've never really had, had to role play that that interaction and um the the my patron has been channel away to them and getting on his side and then outside of the game without them knowing we'll be secretly filling me in with information and things and um and it sounds that sounds really adversarial um, and not like a good situation to be in, but we we play that off very well because we know how each other plays and we've had conversations about it outside of the game and, and we came to an agreement. So don't worry about that side. But like the fact that he doesn't know that I know that information rather than just well the player knows but the character doesn't know makes a massive difference to the the impact of of when it when it actually finally comes out. I did just want to say um, two points to your um, previous section. Um, I think. I think there are problems that you can have in D and D, but the way I the way I look at it as a DM is that they are good problems to have because when a problem comes up, it usually offers so much more than just I need to find out how to solve this. Um, so if you do think, oh, this is a big problem, always think, ah, oh, this is a this is a problem, but it's a good problem, and it will make you tackle it better. And then the other one was, um, you what were you talking about? You were talking about, um, God, I went off on a ramble about something else, and I forgot what you were saying. Um, I mean, I can't remember what happened quite literally a minute ago. ago. So, I know, these are so um, intense on me, Demon. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, I don't know. I can't remember. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, this this all applies. Like, like you say, there's no problem you can't overcome unless the player wants to be a mystic. At that point, you just say no. You just, oh, you just say yeah. no. That's when it's okay um, to say no. I mean, the mystic died a death, didn't it? Like that, that unearthed kind of disappeared off the face of the earth, right? I mean, yes. Apart from you know the character in your game who is a mystic, he brings his thirty pages of uh, character abilities to each game. I'm really, I'm really doing my best to to, to make it that quite work. literally <laughs> is like thirty pages. Like, it, yeah, it's it, it's a document. It's and not, it's, it's, uh, not a it's not a big font. It's not a big font. Okay, no, um, no it's like less than eleven font size. It's uh oh dear. If they ever release the Mystic, we're gonna have to like go through it and <laughs> and really digest yeah, it. Yeah, well, we'd have to go through the old one and see the the changes. But this is why I think it's taken so long because I just I think it's, it's a very difficult class to balance. Yeah. Um, about everything seemingly probably underpowered. Um, we are speaking of that. Uh, I had a little quick look at um. Spoilers got to Wild Mount. All the spells so I haven't, horribly underpowered for the most part. I haven't actually had a chance to get my hands on it yet, and I'm really keen to flick through it and look through it. I've heard that some of the subclasses are very nice, like Echo Knight is very nice. 
Yeah, that looks um, cool. That looks cool. And I've heard that the actual lore in there of the setting is nice. And, and I mean, we've all experienced Critical Role to, to some extent and know that Matt Mercer is very good at that kind of stuff. I think um, as well, I keep I have to keep reminding myself that it is an official Wizards product. It's not like the Taldori campaign setting. It's official 5e content and it's been worked on by the, the Wizards team. Um, which doesn't give me much hope that the spells are underpowered. No, and I did look, and we're, I mean, uh, I won't say who, but we're hoping to get um, a special guest on to, uh, to talk about it, uh, someone mm. who's uh, very clued up on the optimization of D&D. But um, yes. it just, I don't know how some of it gets through testing, to be honest. Um, there's because, one spell. Right, but in what sense, though? Do you think okay, it's but, because... Put it, put it this way, Ben. There's one oh. spell. It's level seven, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. So, for context, you can force cage a level seven. You can yeah. uh, simulacrum, I believe, is a level seven spell. You know, probably mm-hmm. the most, one of the most broken spells in the game. Super powerful. Um, there's a and at that level should be. Uh, I mean, there's also Morden Kane's sword. You know, so they're not all chips. But um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, oh. but what this spell does is it essentially if you pull it off it links two targets so any healing or damage one target takes yes the I other do. target takes spell. so yeah. quite effective and if you imagine if you damage both of them at the same time like a fireball it's like double damage for both yeah which is pretty cool so yeah fairly strong strong ability um, and you could also do some niche things with it like uh, I don't know link the enemy um, like in, in maybe like a social setting where you're not fighting you can maybe link one of the bad guys to your barbarian who's got bags of HP and then you just go away and beat up your barbarian and the other guy dies <laughs> you know like you can do you can do silly stuff like that but um, what I think the problem with it, is it with Ben is because um, you, they both have to make saving throw yeah so that's two saves if one of them passes there's no effect the spell doesn't work now if they're within uh, 30 feet of each other I think you have advantage on this Sorry, they have disadvantage on the throw. Okay, a little bit better. But I'm also pretty sure it's a con save then, which is like the best save, one of the best saves in the game for most. So, so this if, is it. If you're trying to do this to maybe feeble wizards, yeah, it might work then. But you're probably not going to link this up to the dragon. You know, you're not going to link this up to the giant ape. It's and no. the fact that it's two con saves, but this is never going to work. Look at the risk. And why would I risk doing this in a fight? Like, why would I risk doing this when I can just force cage? And it's like, it's the option between, okay, maybe I can win really easy if this mad thing works, or I can just guarantee I'll win. It might take a little bit longer. Like, do you think, um, so I have, I have a couple of questions. Uh, do you think, first of all, it's a spell that's focused on uh, outside of combat utility? And the role play situations, um, because because if it is, then it then it makes more sense. But it's but, still damage focused. Like I still yeah. think there are limited uses as to how you can use it outside of combat. You could maybe if someone's going into like a one on one duel, you could link them and then just heal mm. someone else that heals mm-hmm. them during that fight. You know, like secretly okay. heal them. You so could, then my my follow up is then what what's the um, what do you think the issue is in in the development of these spe- these, these kind of spells because. Do you think it's that they are saying, oh, we don't want to make them too powerful, we don't want to break the game? Or do you think they just don't have a measure on what what is actually powerful? Well, I feel like they must do. They made the game. They know what's good and what's not. But I think that they are really afraid of, um, of unbalancing the game. And I think that D&D, 5e is very well balanced. Like I think, for the most part, all the almost all the classes are balanced against each other, which is something that's not really been true in any other D and haven't played four E, so I don't know about that. But I know in three, uh, third edition, second edition, first edition, the characters of the were not balanced. No, um, especially the wizard. The wizard swung from being horribly underpowered to horribly overpowered, like depending on what level you were. Um, and they've managed to fix that. So I think they're quite happy with this balance. And I think as you introduce more and more books with more stuff in, it gets harder and harder to balance as well because you've got to cross-reference whatever you're bringing into the game with everything, everything else, else that's already yeah. in there. And the more stuff you get, you know, the more 
the more opportunity there is for error and to miss something. I was thinking about this the other night, and my current um, my current viewpoint on it, because I and bear in mind I'm one of the I'm one of those people who who wants to get everything. I want I want all the books. I want to have the options. I want to know all the rules so that I can bring them into my games. And so I would buy all the books, and, and every time I bought a book, I feel like I was getting at least one or two things that I really liked, and then the rest was just optional stuff that I could throw in if I wanted. And then they started bringing out books like Ravnica's, which I have, and to be fair, I have found a way to use um, uh, things like uh, the new one that's coming out, the um, the other magic tie-in uh, for the, the Greek-style setting book, I forget the name. Um, you know, stuff like that, and I think I don't actually... I don't, I don't care about that. I don't think that's going to benefit me in any way. And I think that the further we go into to more books coming out and, and these kinds of issues, the more I think, actually, the stuff I want exists out there and it's made by some really amazing people in the community. And uh, yeah, okay, it's not official D&D ruling, but if it works for us and everyone can agrees on it, this could be a lot of fun. And, and I... I, I just think I'm. I, what I'm trying to say is, and when when people come to me like you have, and you said, I just the, the spells aren't good enough. Like, ah, oh, D and I'm like, okay, let's go look third party because there will be so much out there for free, and that you can buy on DM's Guild made by people that aren't in Wizards who completely agree with you and get it. But the only, the only problem I find with using third party is it's quite quite not legitimate, you know. So there'll be people who yes don't see it as you running the game and you shouldn't have to do that but I do agree I think Odyssey of the Dragon Lords has some of the best player oh, character I options wait to play and that. I love I absolutely love like the sort of origin pathways where it's like a pre-written quest already in the adventure and it tells mm-hmm. you exactly what you're going to get what ability is and I almost love the idea that you pick it from level one because it's like okay how's that that's meta like how okay how I want to get the luck blade at level 15 so I'm going to pick this special origin story that will allow me to get that it's like oh well your player character couldn't have known that well no but I'm picking it as a player because that's yeah. kind of the, the experience I want to have I mean that's that's a different discussion though that's a discussion no but I think I love those kind of options because it gives the player so much agency a lot of it seems really well balanced it gives you so much stuff that players want to do they're like I want to ride a dragon and I want to have a dragon <laughs> pet and it's like okay well there's no real easy way to do that in D&D and like, but they've figured out a way to do it because they knew that was a player fantasy people wanted to have um i think odyssey of the dragon lords is one of one of few third party projects that's come out and it really uh, looked like and felt like a big official uh, expansion a lot of third party stuff comes out and it, and it feels third party i don't think odyssey does in some ways and i think that's no. why it stands out um and i mean there's nothing wrong with it with you know the difference between Odyssey and other third party products that's not what I'm saying but I just think that's why everyone is gravitating towards it it's good it's just it is just genuinely good and there are really well built and really good other third party products out there that are lesser known and and I think we you and I Joe have have tried to highlight some of those anyway Um, but I just I think I just I and I don't know how we got here either, but I think when we when we say oh, I'm just disappointed with, with, the, with the official releases, fine. I urge you to look at third party stuff because yeah, okay, it's not official. Really, if you can get over that mindset, then then you're laughing. Yeah, I just I don't know. I mean, like I was just looking at Wild Mount. I mean, there's a ninth level spell in there, Ben. It does mm. a bit of damage, not enough damage for a ninth level spell, and some force mm. movement. And it's basically creating a black hole bit. I want a bit more for my black hole. I'm going to be yeah. honest. I want a bit yeah. more. And, oh, they're like, but if you die by the effect, then you're, like, disintegrated. But if you die by any other effect in the black hole, you're just not disintegrated. Why? <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Uh, not sure. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why, Joe. Balance. Yeah, again, it just doesn't... Uh, it, it's just a lot of things gone wrong there. The Chronomancy Wizard is broken. Very broken. Mm. In um, what sense? In the sense that you, at a certain point, I think it's around level 11 maybe, you can um, take any 5th level spell, cast it, a bit like a contingency for a later date, but you can mm. condense it into like a little moat of energy. And you can give it to someone else. So you could, okay, cast Fireball, put it into a little moat, give it to the fighter, and he can cast it later on, you know? Cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Sounds pretty balanced. Um, casting time um, doesn't matter. You have to do the casting time when you cast the spell, but once it's in the moat, it happens instantly. 
Right. Boom, it's broken, Ben. Liam and Tony Hurt could put it into the, the little moat. Is that not the same as using a spell storing ring or something, though? No, Ben. Because you still, the spell storing ring still doesn't affect the casting time. Right. Nor does contingency, which can only be used on spells that affect self. So, yeah, you right. can do the casting time doesn't matter on contingency, but you can only do it on spells that affect self. So, they're limited to buffs, essentially, or teleports, mm-hmm. you know? Um, that's where that balancing comes in. That's quite a well balanced spell contingency, is actually. Um, but you can do Liam and Tiny Heart, do the 10 minute ritual, whatever, condense it down, and then when anything's going badly, you can just drop it instantly in the middle of combat. Seems pretty broken to me. No concentration as well required, you know, so. But, yeah, okay. um, yeah there, I, a, I get it. There's a few different things like that that I just think, like, how, how did no one pick that up? Okay. You know? Well, look, I mean, you've already said we're going to try and, and talk about this properly with someone that, that uh, understands balancing issues. So, um, we're, we're, I mean, we're, we're trying to put that into work. The only problem is that we can't get into our regular studio at the moment because of coronavirus. But um, we, I think we'll, we'll go into depth about stuff like this. And I think what actually might be fun to talk about balancing and making stuff again at some point anyway. Um, if we're saying, if, you know, you third party and make your own spells, then, then maybe we should talk about that. I don't know. And I just also, I, I just got to say, it, the new Unearthed Arcana has come out. Mm-hmm. Part of it's really cool. It's like magic items, tattoos, that's fun. Yeah, Ben. Yeah. There's some new spells in there, Ben. They're all based on, like, summoning. They suck. <laughs> just suck so bad. <laughs> yeah. Right, I have played with them. Maybe they, they play out a lot better than on the page. Ben, they just suck, mate. I think I think they do. I think you do need to experience them in game before you give a a proper uh, judgment. They look terrible. But I will admit that I have the only thing I've taken from that on Arcana into my own document is the tattoos. So. Ben, there's like a druid one, yeah. I can't remember yeah. if it's level three or level five, but it doesn't matter. Let's even say it's level three. It's like okay, you can summon this beast and it does a few special abilities. It's like, or I could just summon like ten woodland animals. <laughs> you know, like, come or on. it could just be a Disney princess. It's like, or like the Paladin one, right? Yeah, is yeah. okay. I have an aura that's like ten feet out from me. Anyone I hit in it takes an extra D eight damage. I'm like, sure. Or if I'm like a conquest Paladin, I just cast Spiritual Guardians, which is literally just so much better. Like the yeah. same spell effect. So, or I don't. I cast this. And I need to do 48 damage minimum to break even with what I could do for a smite of the same level. Mm. So that means I need to go two rounds. Unless I'm like a polar master or something like that, mm. I need to do two rounds worth of full damage. And so I need to do four attacks, and that's just to break even, Ben. And then I'm getting mm. a net profit. Why don't I just smite someone? Just. Yeah. Oh, ben. Yeah, no, I get what. Yeah. I know, I know, mate. It's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> but but they're, oh, but Ben, but they're, they're the spe- their speed is reduced by ten, Ben, in the radius. So, well, that makes it all worth it. But there's, <laughs> this is the thing. There are some really good stuff in there, and I think this is why we have the issue with people always going for the the same old spells when they're a wizard. Like everyone picks fireball, and everyone picks counter spell, and everyone picks hypnotic pattern because they're the good spells. Um, and I and I do think there's a problem with with adding stuff and them wanting to not make it too powerful. But I would I would really like for them to instead of making the spells balanced for what everything's in the game now, can't they make new spells balanced for against the best spells that are already in the game? Because those be are the ones that feel the best to use anyway. And I don't mind because on a DM I can adjust my challenge ratings and things to suit the party if they're more powerful but it feels better like if I get a new spell I don't want to feel like taking it it's a subpar option because I could be taking hypnotic pattern I could be taking fireball you know yeah I know exactly what you mean I I want it to feel like an equal choice I also don't like that there's that standard I don't think you can get away from this though there's that standard thing of being being like okay I really want to take a new spell but I just I'm gonna take can spell because I need it. Yeah, there are some taxes with a wizard, like you know, you sort of have to get shield. You're gonna have yeah. to get. You don't necessarily fireball. have to get fireball, but it's you know it's very good. You know, and at yeah. the higher levels, there are ones. It's like just it's a standard. It's a staple. Yeah. But there you go. All right. Well, we've gone completely off the rails, but I think 
there's a lot of content there that people can enjoy while they're stuck in their homes. So, um, if you want to email us, you can at we speak common uh, we speak common at hotmail.com. You can uh, tweet us at we speak common. You can message us through our website we speak common.com. Uh, or if you see us on Reddit, it's probably me. So just chat to me, it's fine. And if this is your first time listening, our audio quality is not normally this bad. <laughs> yeah, we are recording at home. I'm literally under a duvet. Um, cool. Uh, Joe, thank you very much. We will, I think, what well, we're down to one episode a week now because we don't know when we're going to be out of isolation. So, no, Ben. So thank you. <laughs> no, Joe. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Thanks. All right, cool. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening today. If you like the podcast, do us a favor. Leave us a like or review on your platform of choice and share us with your friends. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at WeSpeakCommon or through the email WeSpeakCommon at Hotmail.com. The music in the podcast is Street Dancing by Timecrawler82 and is licensed under an attribution license CC by NC. You can find it on the Free Music Archive. Free Music Archive.